lives, our uh, abilities, and our cash flow, and uh, we are accountable to him for how we use those things, starting with ourselves and then what he's made, how he's made us and what we can do with, in life and get on and achieve in life, and then also uh, the, the money that he entrusts to us from time to time. And um, a couple of weeks ago we looked at tithing, returning the first tenth, the proportion, the first part of our income back to God, the biblical principle of faith, it's not law, precedes law. And then on uh, uh, contentment last Sunday, which uh, had a few lively conversations happening in the cafe afterwards, I understand. <laughs> Um, today we're looking at generosity. Let's, let's bow our heads for a moment and pray. Father in heaven, we, we want to hear the words of the gospel as they apply to us today. And as you call us to generosity, because you have been so generous to us. You did not withhold your only son, but gave him up for us all. And you say that with him you'll freely give us everything else that we need. So we want to learn from you. We want the lesson to land in our hearts, not merely in our heads, we pray. In Jesus' name. <clears throat> Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me if I get an old man voice as I go, but it tries a bit. Generosity needed a Sunday to itself, and so today's that Sunday. Let's start with the words of the Lord Jesus. This is not a parable, this is narrative, this actually happened. And it was in the few days leading up to the the crucifixion that this happened. In the temple in Jerusalem, Mark 12 verse 41. Sitting across from the temple treasury, which was an area where money was put into... We understand there were different, different boxes or receptacles for different offerings and collections, including for the poor. And Jesus is sitting across from this temple treasury area. He watched the crowd drop how the crowd dropped money into the treasury. Many rich people were putting in large sums. And a poor widow came and dropped in two tiny coins worth very little. Summoning his disciples, he said to them, Amen, amen, I say to you. That's what it is literally. I assure you, these, this poor widow has put in more than all those giving to the temple treasury. For they all gave out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she possessed, all she had to live on. Now I spent years in uh, business and economics and so on and uh, spreadsheets and all that kind of thing. I have to be honest about this, what the Lord Jesus says there does not make mathematical economic sense. By all the kind of ways that we run the world... What he says just doesn't add up. But Jesus is giving us an insight into something here, which is in the eyes of God. And of course Jesus is and was God. In the eyes of God, that poor old lady, or dear widow, she may not have been that old, gave more than the rich folks. Well, how does that work? Because she was absolutely full of generosity and they were giving out of what they could readily afford. We're looking at the subject of generosity. The widow who has nothing else but gave what she had 
was more valuable in the eyes of God than thousands of pounds from someone who can readily afford it. So we're going to turn to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 and pick up some headings from there and I've referenced some. Let me give you, if you've got a Bible or a, or a device to open it up, I'm not going to put every scripture in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 here because I'll be tempted to preach them more and it'll take far too long. So let me give some background. Corinth, 2 Corinthians, written to the church in Corinth. Corinth was a wealthy port. Now let me just do this here. Corinth is there. Can you see that? Yeah. Just to the left of Athens and Corinth straddles where two parts of the ocean come in. They've, they've built a canal through now, but originally they kind of landed goods or even literally hauled small ships across four miles of the gap between them. And it was a wealthy port and trading city in the south of Greece and the Roman capital of the area of Achaia at that time. It was also, sad to say, the Bangkok or Soho of the day, a very sexualized city. To call someone a Corinthian was then, among other Greeks, an insult. You Corinthian! The church at Jerusalem, down that end of the Mediterranean, was suffering. And Paul has gone through the Gentile churches right the way through, through Antioch, Galatia, Ephesus and so on. He, He traveled across that part of the world has been raising a collection to help the Christians in Judea. And this wasn't a short-term thing. There was a long-term famine and long-term persecution that went on for some years. When he'd last been to the Corinthians, about a year before, they had offered to participate in this collection for the saints in Judea. But now, he's writing to Corinthians, he's headed to be with them again. And as we read it, he's reminding them of their promise and refers to churches in the north of Greece. You see, Macedonia up from Achaia, Macedonia, northern Greece. That area would include people we know about in the Bible as well, like the Philippians, the Thessalonians, the Bereans. And he's even bringing some people from those northern churches to them. So now we'll read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Now, brothers, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, Their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality or generosity. For I testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, of their own choice, begging us with much urging for the favour of participating in the support of the saints. And this, not as we'd expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus, who is one of Paul's delegates, a young man, that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you, the Corinthians, this gracious work as well. And just as you abound in everything, he's flattering the Corinthians a bit here, just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, read the first letter to figure that one out, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving the earnestness of others, the sincerity, through the earnestness of others, the sincerity of your love also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also had a desire to do it, but now finish doing it also. 
So that just as there was the readiness to desire to do it, so there may also be the completion of it by your ability or according to your ability. If the readiness is present, it's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For this is not for the ease of others and for your suffering. We're not making them rich and you poor, but by way of equality. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their needs so that their abundance may also become in time a supply for your need, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much and he who gathered little had no lack. That's talking about the manna in the wilderness. But thanks be to God who put the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he's gone to you of his own accord. We've sent him along with, along with him, the brother whose fame, in the things of the gospel has spread through all the churches. And not only this, he's also been appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work, which is being administered us by us for the glory of God himself and to show our readiness, taking precaution. Let me just stop there a moment. You notice this, Paul's working with people, so there's, there's real accountability here. The churches in, in, in the other Gentile churches, maybe in Galatia, maybe in Macedonia, had actually appointed someone to travel along and make sure the collection was being done right and was delivered correctly. Real openness, real accountability. Taking precautions so that no one will discredit us in our administration of this gracious gift. For we have regard for what is honourable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. We've sent with them our brother, whom we've often tested and found diligent in many things, and now even more diligent because there's great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches. A glory to Christ. For openly before the churches, show them the proof of your love and of your reason, our reason for boasting in you. I'm going to read on chapter 9. For it is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints. I know you were ready to do it. I boasted about you to the Macedonians, namely that Achaia had been prepared since last year and your zeal stirred up most of them. But I've sent the brothers in order that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this case because they still hadn't done it. They kind of said, yeah, we'll do that, but they hadn't done it yet. So that, as I was saying, you may be prepared. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame in this, by this confidence. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers that they go, go ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift, so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Now this I say. Let me just say before I read this, this passage of scripture is greatly misunderstood and misused by a number of people. Especially when they talk about sowing and reaping and about seed money and seed faith. All right, let's go through it. Well, I'll read it and we'll come back to it. This I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. But each one must do as he's purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all you need in every way, you may have an abundance to, for every good deed. You'll have more than you need so you can be generous. 
As it is written, he scattered abroad. He gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. That's not about God. It's not about the person who gives generously. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And you will be rich in everything for all generosity, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given of this, by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the generosity of your contribution to them and to all. While they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. What, how was that grace seen and measured? By their generosity. And then last five, verse 15, thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. Generosity, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Generosity, firstly, is commended in scriptures. It's commended in scripture. It's one of the marks of a good man. A good man is generous and gives. Do you get that? He's generous, which shows he's a good man. A good person is not defined by what they do not do. That's the problem. Sorry, I'll keep my glasses off altogether now. The problem with a lot of Christianity in many places in many decades has been it's been so negative, it's been so legalistic. It's like, I'm a good Christian because I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. Yeah? Tick your, t- tick your don't list. Yeah? If that's what defines us as Christians, we're a sour old bunch, aren't we? <laughs> Baptised in lemon juice and, you know, all the rest of it. But no, the Christian is someone who out of a good heart brings forth good things. We are doing, 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 doing. So the evidence of faith is good works. Not just works, but good works. Things that have moral character and excellence about them. Jesus said this, a good man produces good things from the storeroom of his good. And an evil man produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. So you do know people by their works. But nevertheless, it isn't the works that make them good. It's because they're good, they're producing good works. The grace of God has worked something in them that they gets worked out in practical life. So Paul tells us, so Proverbs tells us about this generosity thing. One person gives freely yet gains more. Another withholds what is right only to become poor. A generous person will be enriched and the one who gives a drink of water will receive water. And further on in Proverbs 22, a generous person will be blessed and he shares his food with the poor. Now here's the thing. I want you to notice straight away. Let's set a biblical context for this. The word generous in scripture is almost always relating to how we help those in need. It's not just giving money. It's helping those in need. Generosity is, a com- is compassion expressed in action that helps people. All right? It's not just writing a check to some society, some char- charity. It's actually making sure that the help is delivered to people who are in need, in suffering, in poverty, in, in a disaster area, whatever it is. That is generosity. Generosity isn't labeled in the Bible but by any other kind of thing. It's always speaking about that focus of compassion reaching need. Love in action. That's what the Bible calls generosity. I don't know what you, 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 you would call it, but that's what the Bible calls generosity. Compassion, bringing action and help 
to those who are suffering in some way. So generosity starts after the tithe. We talked about tithing a few weeks ago. Tithing is we bring the first 10% of our income. We recommended it, I recommended that as before tax because why should Caesar have his cut before God gets his? And um, we give that to God through the local church. But the tithe is what the Lord asks of us to honour him. Beyond that, we are making choices. We're being motivated. We're being stirred to give something that helps somebody in some way. That is the beginning of generosity. Let me put some numbers on that. And here's where we, our thinking is so skewed because we are so materialistic and so used to our, our, our economics and our spreadsheets and Lord knows what. Let's assume for a moment that there's a millionaire that we know. And he gives 100,000, one-tenth of his gross income every year to his local church. And you think, wow, that man's generous. No, he isn't. He's no more faithful than the person who earns 12 grand and gives 1,200. He's not generous, but he's being faithful. And those who faithfully tithe, whatever their means are, will be the same, blessed and rewarded and honoured by God. When we do what he asks of us, we looked at it in Malachi 3, he'll open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing. That's faithful tithing. That's the faithful returning to God in giving of what he asks of us. The, the millionaire's generosity will only start once he's finished tithing. But let's take the other side. The widow who receives perhaps far less than £1,000 each month. But she not only tithes, but adds something more as an offering. And when she finds others that are in need, she, she finds something as well from her personal wallet to give to them too. That lady is generous. It's a heart issue, folks. It's a character issue. We are dazzled by sums. We think that money, because it's this much, is worth more. No, it isn't. Because the money carries the character that gave it. It carries the heart with which it was given. Jesus told not to, not to get, have regard to the amount, but to the heart of the giver. So generosity is actually unrelated to income and wealth. It's not, it doesn't depend on whether you've got a lot or less. We've got, to, we've got to unpick our thinking, our mathematical brains on this. From God's point of view, generosity really doesn't have, it really, the money amount isn't the issue. It's unrelated. Now here we go, let's go back into Corinthians a bit. During the severe testing by affliction in the Macedonian churches, the Romans had left that area poor. They'd been overtaxed, I'll read in a minute. Their abundance of joy and their deep poverty, not their deep plenty, their deep pockets, their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. They didn't have much, but they wanted to help. They wanted to support. They were not rich people. They had little. They were experiencing a time of affliction. Let me read from a commentary. Macedonia had been reduced to a state of grinding poverty by the crippling taxes of Rome. And in the case of Christian communities, this condition was made worse by persecution. But when they heard that their fellow Christians in Judea were in trouble, they wanted to help. Paul's writing to the Corinthians, who are much better off in this wealthy city of Corinth. 
And he's using the example of the Macedonians to challenge them to that kind of generosity. Generosity is not measured by how much you give, but by how much you have before and after you've given. Think of the widow giving the last three coins compared to the rich men giving what they could easily afford. Generosity doesn't depend upon whether you have much or little. Generosity is never forced. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 3. Paul says about Corinthians, I testify that on their own, according to their own ability, they begged us insistently for the privilege of sharing the ministry service of the saints, and not just as we hoped. Paul had spoken while he was there about the brothers and sisters in Judea across the Aegean and Mediterranean. He wasn't actually expecting these northern Greeks to make any contribution to the election because he didn't think it was appropriate. But when they heard, they begged him, implored him, kind of got hold of him and shook him and said, no, we want to give to this. Can you imagine that? Don't tell us we can't give to that. Of course we want to give to that. And then in chapter 9, verse 5, he says again, I consider it necessary to urge the brothers from north to go ahead and arrange this gift so that it will be ready as a gift and not as an extortion. Another place Paul says, I don't command you in this. Generosity cannot be demanded, cannot be enforced, cannot be legislated. It has to be a response of compassion. It has to be a response of the heart, a response of character. If generosity is provoked and hyped up by emotional appeals, it's not generosity. So when the, the TV ministry whips you up into, you know, that is not, you're not being generous, you've just been hyped up. Shame on them. Generosity is never forced, it's never commanded, it's commended. And Paul uses examples of the, the uh, Macedonians. There's another example coming, the biggest one yet in a minute. Generosity is not constrained, it's not tied up. Oh, I'm, I'm just going to be a bit generous here and, and that'll be it. You know, it's like, no, 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 you missed the point. 10 Corinthians 8 verse 4, they begged us insistently for the privilege of sharing in helping and serving the saints. They begged us. They hammered the door down until I gave way. They wouldn't hear no for an answer. Wow. Something got into that people, didn't it? Do you know what it was? Grace. The grace of God. Generosity is first focused towards the Lord. They gave themselves to us and to the Lord and to us by God's will. It's focused on the Lord. It's not, oh, those poor, poor people. It isn't just about the need. It's about, let me do something from the goodness of God and what is given to me. It's, it's God-centered. It's not just the need. But it's the glory of God and the goodness of God and your appreciation of the goodness of God to you that, wants you, that causes you to want to be good, help and do some good to others. God's not impressed with our gifts and offerings if we're not firstly giving ourselves to him. Because in the end, he wants us for far more than he wants cash from us. All our other giving, having given ourselves, is to the Lord. Even if we're directly helping people. We've read it before in, in Proverbs. In fact, I'll read it again. Let me remind you again of this promise in Proverbs. Kindness to the poor is a loan to the Lord. When you help someone without expecting return, 
God marks it as a loan that he's going to repay you. Is that what it says? Yes. God marks generosity to those in need and he will give a reward. He doesn't, he doesn't say he'll pay the money back pound for pound. He says he'll give a reward. You've got to trust God that his rewards are better than, than, than you could imagine. It's more than mere maths. It's not you're going to get so much back. No, he'll reward you. Reward is a big, big, big thing. That means not even in the same kind. He'll do something that you weren't totally expecting. Reward. Generosity is evidence of our love for God and his people. It's an evidence of love. Well, again, Paul says, I'm not saying this is a command, rather because by the means of the diligence, I'm testing the genuineness, the sincerity of your love. Love, love for who? For, for God and for people. Including their love for Paul, who's, who's you know, their apostolic leader. I'm testing the genuineness of your love. Love will be seen in these, these actions. One by one, person by person. Together making some collection of cash, which is then going to again help this, the, the, the hungry and the, the persecuted in Judea. It's a measure of our love. Jesus said, where our treasure is, our heart is also. And you can reverse that where your heart is, there your treasure is also. The thing you really care about is the thing you'll be thinking about and be holding on to. If our heart is fixed upon the Lord, cash can flow from our hands to him and to those in need. And Paul is saying to these people in Corinth, the rich city, you you saw the way the Macedonians have given. He said, "I, I, I want you to hit that mark. I want you to find that, that, that level of motivation. The measure is not how much money, but how much love and generosity is in the giving. Again, think of the widow and a few coins. I've learned over the years to highly regard those who give faithfully and generously out of their little. Genuine love does not just feel, it acts. Love must not just be in words, but in deeds. People can weep to see scenes of some disaster on the TV screens, but how many of them pick up the phone to, make, to donate a five for having been given the phone number? Oh, isn't it terrible for those people? Oh, well, next channel. Ely Missions, uh, we ask you to help them, Southeast, Southeast Africa through Ely Missions this week. You can say, oh, that's terrible. Oh, that, words, 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 words. When you do something, you're showing love. Love is in compassion, is in action, not in how you feel about it or how you talk about it. Yeah? But that's true of the whole of human life. Real love and real compassion are always in the action, not in the words. We can be very sympathetic and make the right noises, can't we? But the person who says nothing but finds the money in their pocket or on their phone and actually that moment does something is the person who's responding with love, with compassion. Now we come to the big one. Generosity is exampled by Jesus. We are to emulate him. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Now, of course, some preachers and many people can't read that verse without seeing dollar signs and pound signs all over it. That's the way it gets used. God wants me to be rich. Okay, listen, the comparison between us and Jesus. 
Though he was, when was Jesus rich? In heaven. What was he rich with? Money? No. How did he make himself poor? Colossians 2. Philippians 2, sorry. He emptied himself, became a servant, became a man, became as a sacrifice for our sin. Poured himself out for us. He poured himself, he made himself poor. So how are we made rich by this God-man who made himself poor? With the riches that are his, not the riches of this world. He who made himself poor so that we may be rich. It's, he came and buckets us up and carries us through on his trajectory. And his trajectory was what? Having made himself absolutely nothing to the point of death on the cross, God has raised him up and highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every single human being in all creation in all time must bow down Amen. and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So if you look at the word riches in the New Testament, all right, you will find they are hardly ever about cash, apart from when Jesus talks about rich men in parables and so on. Here they are in the epistles. This is the word riches when you go through the letters of the Bible. The riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience. The riches of his glory. The riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Again, the riches of his grace, the glorious riches of his inheritance, the immeasurable riches of his grace, the incalculable riches of Messiah, the riches of the assured understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, who is Messiah, Jesus. Every one of those scriptures is to referring to things that money cannot buy. To stamp dollar and pound signs on those scriptures is to cover the truth with dirt. That's not what it's about. But Jesus emptying himself, pouring himself out, becoming poor for that we might become rich in him, is, to an, is, to, is an example to us of generosity. That we, we don't do anything like the same trajectory, of course we don't, but we act in mercy to help others too. We lower ourselves to help, to serve. Generosity meets the real needs of real people. I should have put real for those two things there. Generosity, generous giving should flow to observe need. So some giving is one-off because there's a need just at that time. And in time, those who've met the needs of others may need help themselves. And so Paul talks about this cycle. If you, you may be helping them, maybe in time they'll be helping you. But here's the way that it works in terms of sowing and reaping, which we'll come to in a minute. Very often, the thing you've done here doesn't come back to you from here. It comes back to you from over there. The people you haven't helped are helping you. Because that's God's wisdom. That you, don't, you, don't, you don't think, that this is, I know the trick, when I do this, this is what happens. It is never a trick. It's never an ABC. It's not, I do this and I'm not expecting return because these people just need my help. And I'm doing it for, because God's moved my heart to it. And then, here I am, forgot all about that, whistling along, you know, humming my tune, blah, 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 and suddenly someone's helping me in some way. Or I'm in need, and someone's supplying my need. God is rewarding me. But very rarely from the same direction. 
we don't always receive the same thing or the same kind back as we sow. In fact, here's one of the things about sowing and reaping. When you sow, what you see, first of all, is not a pile of seeds where you put one seed. You, there's a plant that grows. And if you go to Ephesians, uh, sorry, Ephesians, 1 Corinthians 15, we talk about the resurrection of the dead. You sow a corpse in the ground. You don't get a corpse, that same corpse, back on resurrection day. You get a new resurrection body, which has, which has connection to your old one, but it's not made of the same atoms, and God doesn't have to juggle atoms to put, make, give you a resurrection body, because it's a new thing. The, you know, the, 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 the acorn, little acorn, big tree. Wow, how did that come from that? So seeds produce something more than they were. So it's not you get more of the same. No, no, no. In sowing and in reaping, you get something better than you put in. It's bigger. It's a tree. It's a resurrection body. It's, it's altogether different. I'm getting ahead of myself. Anyway. Generosity honors the Lord. Paul talks there about the glory of the Lord himself. This whole relief program organized by Paul was not just for the help of the Judeans, but for the glory of God. Generous giving to need honors the Lord, and he'll reward it. So that next point is generosity reaps reward. Reward. Not cashback. Cashback's what they give you at the till and the co-op. All right? your money by the way you're just drawing it out not talking about cash back we're talking about reward and reward is altogether different and God's promises sometimes outstrip what we thought his promise meant you know like, like the old preachers used to say if, if, if years and years and years ago if someone said to his son my son when you get to be a man I'll give you a horse when they got to be a man he gave him a model T Ford instead which was two horsepower. <laughs> in other words, you know, I made you a promise, but I'll exceed the promise. You know, I, I, I gave you something you could grasp and imagine at that time, but I'm going to give you something better than you could imagine at that time. Reward is not payback. It's not same in, same out. Reward is always more. Remember this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. The person who sows generously will also reap generously. The principle you will reap what you sow is in Scripture a very broad principle of God's justice, both negatively and positively. The wicked will not fail to be held accountable for their wrong, and the righteous will not fail to be rewarded for their faith and obedience. Because God is just. But here, Paul is using that principle, you reap what you sow, specifically with regard to generosity to those in need. You can't sow, you can't scatter seed without being rewarded for it in time. And he's not making it up, because if you remember, a few weeks ago we looked at this, words of Jesus again, which is why they're in red. Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness. This is practical righteousness, practical godliness, living out being a Christian in front of people to be seen by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet as the hypocrites do in the synagogue. Here comes the rich man. He's bringing his offering. To be applauded by people. I'll tell you what, they've got their reward. They want to be seen? You've been seen. 
but you. When you give to the poor. Notice this. What kind of giving is Jesus particularly picking up on? Giving to the poor. Meeting real needs in for real people. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It's a secret even to you. <laughs> You're not even keeping tabs on it. So that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And some versions say openly. What you do in secret, he'll reward you in the open. I do not believe that tithing equals sowing. That's not where the scripture goes to. It's not where it's fixed. It's not what it's saying. You do not sow when you give your tithe. You sow when you're generous beyond your tithe. Faithful tithing will be blessed by God and rewarded by God. And generous sowing beyond tithing will also be rewarded by God. But they're separate things in Scripture. There are those who... No, let me move on. I think I'll come in in a minute. Generosity is expressed cheerfully. Real generosity is cheerful. It's not, oh my goodness, I've got to, oh dear. Each person should do as is decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. That says, decide in your heart what to give, not reluctantly, not having to, but cheerfully. And by the way, the Greek word there is the word we get hilarity and hilarious from. A skip and a jump and a laugh on your face. Yeah? Oh, I get a chance to give. You yeah. Oh, dear, I've got to give. Oh, no. Deciding in your heart is not an appeal to your emotions. It's not asking, dear, how do you feel? It's making a decision. In the same way when we do a wedding service, say, how do you feel? Do you still feel like you love one another? We say, do you decide to love one another? We ask them to make a decision. And to, to, to announce that decision, fixed for the rest of their lives, that they are choosing to continue to love this person. They may have fallen in love, but now they've got to decide to continue to be faithful in loving one another. So it's a decision of the will that rules the emotions. The emotions may be stirred and provoked, but you have to make a decision to act. Let me say this to you as well. It would be good to feel moved all the time. And then act. But sometimes we need to start to act so that an attitude is formed. You form habits and attitudes simply by repeatedly doing something. Bad habits and good habits. And by choosing to do and choosing to act, you form an attitude and character. So here's the headline. I've heard this many times from many people. It's not original with me. It's better to decide and act your way into a feeling than to feel your way into an action. It is better to decide to choose and act your way into a feeling than to feel your way into an action. How many of you know your emotions change? Your feelings fluctuate. I'm not, this is not a go at the ladies. You men are being dishonest. You know, we have ups and downs too, all right? So you make a decision that pushes your feelings somewhere rather than saying, oh, my feelings don't take me anywhere today. You know, I don't feel like going to work today. Well, I don't feel like paying you, so there you go. <laughs> Generosity is a connection of love between us and God. Here's the phrase. God 
loves a cheerful giver. Amen. He doesn't say, he, 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 he commends them. You know, it's like, oh yeah, well done. He says he loves them. God loves them. Now, this gives a lot of whole people a lot of problems. What, do you mean he loves them more than other people? At that moment, at that time, yes. You got a problem with that? Of course God loves all his children, but our knowledge and experience of his love increases when we please him. And again, I'm going to go back to Jesus on this one. John 14. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me, and the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. There's a flow of love going on here. And I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. There's a greater experience of the love of God and the love of Christ, which, is, which comes because we are submitting ourselves and obeying him. Yes. And we're experiencing more of the love of God. You say, well, I don't feel like God loves me. We'll start to obey him. Thank you. Because <laughs> yeah. if you are willfully disobedient, it's very hard to feel loved by God. Because he's like, come on, we need to get, you know. He's a father, after all. Yes. All right? And then further down, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. He'll do what I say. My father will love him. We will come to him and make our home with him. I think that's really good news. I don't know about you. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The word you hear is not mine, but it's from the Father who sent me. A greater experience of God's love because you are showing you love God by obeying him, doing what he says. There's a, the, 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 the channel is wider. The enjoyment of affection and approval is greater because there's a reciprocal love. God loves you, you love God. God asks of you, you respond to him. God shows you in his word, you do it. And love flows between God the Father and God the Son and you. There are those who say, and and there are famous name preachers who say, God cannot love me any more than he already does because he loves me in Jesus. Well, that's true. But they often mean to say, so it doesn't matter what I do then. That goes beyond scripture. What the Lord Jesus presents to us in his teaching, what's followed through in his epistles, is that all the Father, the Father who has chosen us, accepted us and loves us, is pleased when we do well, when we believe, love and obey him, and we will experience more of his love. And Jude, in fact, says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Stay where it's reaching you. You cannot extinguish from Scripture the doctrines of accountability and reward. Loves the righteous. Now, when they're behaving righteously, they know he loves them. They'll experience his love. Yeah? We read it earlier. We're servants and stewards as well as sons. And if we please our master, if we please our father, we will know more of the pleasure and joy and love of God. In ourselves. That's unfailingly true, but it's, it's become an unpopular thing to say. Because we want to hide under the unconditional electing love of God and not 
experience the practical day-to-day love of God when they, when they feel the, the sunshine of heaven on them because they've done the right thing. But no, the God, they, they met with God's approval for having put themselves to some effort to please him. Made the right choice and taken the right action. Done the good thing. Again, we've looked at this a few times now. Jesus in his parables, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful over a few things, which in this case was money. I'll put you in charge of many things, but here's the big deal. Here's the big reward. Share your master's joy. Have some of what I've got. Have some of what the Trinity had before the world was made. Love and joy and peace flowing between the three members of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Have some of that. Dave, Fred, Joe, have some of this extraordinary eternal relationship of love and joy and peace. You can enter into some of that. You can participate in it. A flow of love, flow of devotion, a flow of peace. Yes, God loves you with that prior condition. He doesn't save you because you repent and believe, but because Christ died and rose again for you. He accepts you and loves you in Jesus' Son. But if you will please him, you will experience his love more. You please him and obey him because you love him. And love flows from an obedient child and his loving father. So why does anybody have a problem with that? Only those who want to opt out of accountability and reward, who want to hold on to what is untrue, that therefore it doesn't matter what I do. So God loves a cheerful giver. And when Jesus looked across at the treasury, he could have said this, God loves that widow who's given the last few pennies that she's got, but he's, he's only, he, he, he hasn't any comment to make about the man who just gave a thousand pounds because he could easily afford it. The humble Christian who pursues generosity, and it's, they're, they're in that way learning to become like their good father, God will love. God loves a cheerful giver. And generosity is practicing practical righteousness. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you. So in every way, all this, having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. It's written, he gave, he scattered. This is talking about the generous man, the good man. He scattered, he gave to the poor. His righteousness, his righteousness, his right way of living endures forever. That's what the Lord Jesus teaches us in Matthew 6, that giving and praise, fasting and praying are practical righteousness, how we seek and further the kingdom of God. By continually doing what is right, choosing what is right by the help of God, the Holy Spirit and the grace of God, we grow to be more right and godly character is built and formed in us. In fact, the Bible describes us growing up into the measure of Jesus, learning to become more right. God provides the gift to the giver. 2 Corinthians 9. The one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You notice that? It didn't say riches. It says righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity. He will give you enough so you can continue to be generous. He'll give you more than you need so you can keep on this habit of generosity, which so pleases God. Seed in those days was what was sown, scattered. They did this right up. I mean, there's even a Van Gogh painting of a sower in the field, and he's doing exactly the same thing they were doing in Jesus' time. Bag of seed, walking along, 
the ground's all ploughed up, and he's throwing the seed, throwing the seed. Tithing is not sowing seed, but generous giving beyond the tithe is sowing seed. That's a photo, not Van Gogh. And the seed landed a little here, a little there. And let me tell you this too. If you want to begin to learn generosity, why don't you just give a little here and a little there and begin? Give to, give, give, give to Barnabas Fund. Give to Be Free. Give to some other cause. Uh, see, look around you for people who need a hand and think, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll give some to them. And thank you for the takeaway. Um, it's good to support various Christian causes or charities people who are actually delivering help to people with a few pounds each month or per quarter but please do not respond to emotional appeals by TV ministries they claim your seed from you but actually they're after much much more than a seed that language of seed is very much being misused by some so choose carefully whom you choose to support regularly but if you will sow generously, that means widely, a little bit here, a little bit there, it's seed, it's going out, it's going out, it's going out. No, right, here's my bag of seed, there you go, I've got it, there you take care of that now. No, distribute it, scatter it. What did Jesus say? Don't need your left hand, know what your right hand's doing. It's like a little bit there, a bit there, a bit there. You will reap generously when you sow generously. But not necessarily more cashback, but very definitely the reward and blessing of the Lord. We're getting to the end. And here's the thing. Observed generosity moves others close to God. Jesus said, you know, um, they will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. When Christians are engaged in things of meeting people's needs, and as uh, talking with Jack a little bit in the kind of Greek, Greek, Greek time as well, godly justice, not just social justice, but God-centered justice. They say, oh, you folks are doing a good thing there, aren't you? Well done, yeah. Generosity and compassion is a lesson to the world. It moves them a little bit closer to God. It impacts those who are not yet believers. So here's a few headlines to finish off. Generosity is not defined by how much we give because, you know, very rich people give a whole big of, we get dazzled by the numbers, but that, that's not the issue. By how we give and how much we keep to ourselves and the way in which we give. And, and I want you to notice something. We just, well, I did read through the whole of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Paul never used the word money once. It's a tour de force of writing. Yes, he's talking about them giving money to a collection to support the saints in Judea. But he never mentioned the money once. Because money isn't the issue. Generosity is the issue. And generosity is an issue of character, not cash. It's something that's being decided in the heart and acted out from the heart. So he never mentions money. Although it's in the background. Generosity is really about, not about cash but about character. So in our giving, beyond the tithe, with an offering to express our thankfulness to God, a contribution to the needs of others, support of some Christianity to cause, do it with heart, do it with sincerity, do it with cheerfulness, and God will love you and reward you for it. Because, why? Because you are reflecting his heart of grace and generosity. That's why Paul says, finally, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What is his gift? Jesus. Christ Jesus and all that we have in him. 
Even generous giving is only a shadow of the real, better, eternal things. God gave his son for us. More importantly than giving something, we give ourselves back to God through Jesus as living sacrifices. We choose to live as faithful children of a good heavenly father. We choose to live as those who keep covenant with him, who has saved us entirely by his grace. And covenant in terms of obedience, and in terms of tithing, and in terms of discipline of life and so on. We're learning to become more like our father in heaven. As, as we're, we're taught by him, as, as we're, we're taught and, and, and uh, um, exampled by Jesus, and as we're helped and equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit, we're learning to become more like our Father. Growing up in all ways into the stature of his son Jesus. Learning generosity is part of that process of the sons of God, and, and that includes ladies. The sons of God growing up to be the people they were always meant to be. Generosity plays a part in that. That's why it's such a valuable thing. Because it's a heart stretcher and a heart former. It demands of us character, not just feelings of compassion, but action. It forms character. That's the biblical teaching on generosity. It's also the biblical teaching on seed. Right? And I've just demolished a whole lot of stuff that goes on in all sorts of places. I know I have. Seed is in the context here in Corinthians of serving the poor, of making sure help gets to them, and we do that by making our own contribution, maybe to slight commerce. Our own small contribution becomes a larger contribution, which then goes to help that that community. They did it then in the first century. We're still doing it today. And it's in those places and it's in those instances that we begin to go beyond what's asked of us by the Lord and do what he didn't ask us to do but we're doing it anyway. Paul didn't ask the Macedonians to give, they implored him for the privilege to do it and there are things in generosity God does not command us to do but when we do it, he will love us for it and reward us openly that's what generosity is about my friend thanks be to God for his indescribable gift we're going to break bread together. And as we do so, that's the text. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Unspeakable, beyond words. He who was rich yet for our sake became poor, that we through his poverty might be enriched in every way. Riches of grace, riches of glory, riches of wisdom, riches of... And if you don't really value being a Christian, being someone who is saved by the grace of God through the blood of Christ, maybe you haven't even started yet. Just just maybe you haven't even started yet. Why don't you take a moment as we get ready to break bread together and submit yourself to the Lord Jesus. Say to him, Lord, I I come to you. I, I want to make a beginning of knowing you. I pray that you'll help me. Holy Spirit, come and help me to know and love Jesus. Simple as that. It's not bolting together a different way of life. It starts with a surrender, a submission to Christ himself. That he becomes your master, your king. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift.